everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we get started, I would like to begin by doing something that requires your participation. And what we're going to do eventually is we're going to pray. But first, I want to ask you, what are the sorts of things that you pray for when you pray for your friends or maybe for yourself? Like think good things that you desire for people that you love. And if you're in the room here, like if you're on a worship team, just talk amongst yourselves. If you're on the live stream uh, and you're with somebody, share what you would pray for. Uh, If you're alone, maybe just jot some things down on the napkin or the notebook that you have handy. I'll give you just a few seconds to do that. Okay, I'm going to cut you off there. So many of you know that we are doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount, on the essential teachings of Jesus from Matthew 5 to 7. And I'm going to have a few of my friends join me here in a poster form. Some of you know that if you read ahead in the Sermon on the Mount, that the like one of the headlines of this sermon is to love your enemies and to pray for them. And we think that there's something formational about this. We believe prayer has power, but that also in praying for your enemies, you're actually shaped into being like Jesus, into loving the way that Jesus loves. And so what we're going to do from this Sunday forward until the election is we're going to do some heart work And we're going to do some maybe hard work in praying for some people that you might not feel natural love or affection for. So if I look, we really got, I guess it is on your left, the Democratic candidate for the presidency. And on your right, that's on purpose, uh, the current president of the United States, Donald Trump. Most of you have made up your minds, I imagine, on who you will vote for or maybe you have already voted. So the exercise today is you're going to pray for the other guy. So if you're voting right, you pray left. If you, well, I did that to my left, but you get, you get the idea. Um, pray for the person that you're not voting for. Now, if you're really cynical and not voting or have lost hope, guess what? You get to pray for both these guys. And I think that's going to do something for your heart too. Because I, newsflash, cynicism doesn't change the world. <laughs> uh, it, it, actually does something nasty to your own heart and and doesn't necessarily make other people be drawn to you either, even though it's kind of portrayed as being cool. So those things that you prayed for or that you suggested that you pray for your friends, I'm going to now give you a minute to pray for one of these guys or or maybe both these guys. And if you just put up on the screen, I have a couple of like examples maybe of things that you would pray for. Uh, for friends or for yourself, health, marriage, an experience of God, joy, peace, wisdom, strength, freedom from anxiety or addiction. So if you're really coming up blank, if you just leave that up on the screen, you can pray these things for uh, Joe Biden and President Trump. 
Sound good? So I'm going to give you a full minute to do that. So come Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill our hearts with love for these men as we pray. And if you're with people, I encourage you to pray out loud. So Jesus, we ask that you would bless Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Give them wisdom, give them strength. We pray for unity in our country. We pray for peace in their lives. We pray for freedom from whatever it is they struggle with. We know they do because they're human, uh, whether it be anxiety or depression or addiction. Uh, let your kingdom come into their life. Let your will be done. Let them have an experience of you that is real and life-changing. Amen. So, of course, the temptation when you pray for someone that you don't particularly like, you cannot, my, <laughs> Stephen, Courtney, I don't want to be distracted necessarily. I don't want people to be distracted. But the, the tendency or the temptation is when you pray for someone uh, that, that you're not naturally drawn to, to like pray that they would change to be more like you. That's not what we're talking about. And I think there would be great power in you uh, praying for both these guys every day from now until the election and praying for our country. And if you don't do it Monday through Saturday, we'll do it on Sunday for the next couple of weeks. Sound good? Okay, so uh, we are in this series and we're calling it Love Period because everything that Jesus says in Matthew 5 to 7 has to be interpreted through Jesus the person through the teachings of Jesus, and through the love lens. And so if you start to hear things that feel a little prickly, know that Jesus is saying these things in love, and you need to interpret them through him. We're going to be reading, uh, this passage is a little less well-known, but Matthew 5, verse 33. Uh, a little less well-known than, than love your enemies, or last week we talked about lust. You maybe remember I brought in a watermelon uh, this week, it's pink pumpkin. So last week, watermelon lust. This week, pink pumpkins. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
Now, I grew up uh, in the state of Iowa on about 130 acres. Uh, my mom and dad bought me a collie dog named Toby. They, there may be a picture up of that dog right now. And I don't know if this is why they got me the dog. Uh, I thought of it as my dog at least. But apparently I was a wanderer. Uh, I had an adventurous spirit from a young age. I have a daughter just like this. And so I would wander around the farm and my mom would like lose track of me briefly. And so she would call for the dog and wherever the dog came from, she would know that I was in that general direction. And so she could go and find me. Now, one day, and I was a little bit older, I'm guessing like age five or six, I had a younger brother at this point named Isaac. And uh, my mom calls for the dog and the dog doesn't come. The reason the dog doesn't come is because I had ventured off into I think what we called the back 40, <laughs> uh, like the, the 40 acres farthest away from the house. I had gone off on an adventure. And uh, it's a place where I hadn't been very often, so I wanted to go see what was back there. And in the meantime, you know, 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, 30 minutes passed. My mom is really worried, naturally, and so she actually organizes a search party. I was gone long enough that my uncle had driven in from town and was starting to drive down our dirt path to the back 40 as I was returning. Uh, and I thought, oh, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, my mom comes out and says, where have you been? And, and she's worried. I don't remember her being angry. I remember it being like concerned and loving. Where have you been? That's a pretty straightforward question. But instead of answering the question, do you know what I said? I said, well, my brother was following the dog, so I followed him to make sure that he was okay. That's not what happened. My brother followed me and the dog followed us. Why would I say that? Let's jump back now to Genesis chapter 3. This is where we were last week with the watermelon. And... Give me just a second. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there too. You remember that the serpent, or what Jesus sometimes, who Jesus sometimes references as the evil one, who we call Satan, Satan, shows up and starts to spin the truth to the woman and convinces her that the way to achieve the life that she wants is to enter into a different path than God had set before, into an easier path to achieve what she believes will give her fulfillment and wholeness. The serpent says, God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, this is the word covet, or it can be translated lust, I desire to possess this thing for the good that it will give me, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. This wisdom, again, is not just understanding, but success, victory, you're winning at life, fulfillment. When she sees, when she perceives, when her lust makes her believe that this fruit, that this way of living, that this easier path will give her what she's looking for. She takes some and eats it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sew fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Why do they do that? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they do that? But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This sounds like a pretty straightforward yes or no question, doesn't it? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And the rest, is the, uh, the rest of this particular story is the unraveling of the good creation that God had made, the severing uh, of relationship, the sin that gets in the way of both relationship with God and others. But then the Bible tells the story of the rescue plan. And I will jump forward to a now very popular passage, John three sixteen, which some of you know, uh, that verse, but then as it goes, it sheds a little more light on what we're talking about today. This is the headline of the rescue plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does, not, who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. It's really interesting, isn't it, that typically we're afraid of the physical dark and move into the real light, but we're afraid of the spiritual light, and so we prefer the spiritual dark. And it says here that we do that because of fear, because we're guilty, because of the things that we've done. I come in reading the Bible believing that it's true, but even if you don't come in with that same assumption, you probably could agree that it is easier to hide from the truth when the truth doesn't make you look great or when it exposes that you are guilty. Uh, And it's much easier, at least in the short term, to blame or to spin the story, to spin the events, to spin the facts. When Jesus in Matthew 5 says these words, all you need to say is simply yes or no, Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I think he's saying three things, and I want to kind of jump through the first two pretty quickly. The first thing, even though he talks about the danger of making oaths, in the statement, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he is actually affirming commitment. He is affirming that instead of sliding through life, you should make decisions. So decide, don't slide. 
This is a important word for us today because we're living in a culture, and maybe it's just people my age, but I don't think it is, that it is easy to say maybe and easy to not make a firm commitment uh, instead of saying yes or no. Will you come over to my house on Friday night? Uh, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Sounds fun. Instead of saying yes or no, why don't we say simply yes or no? Maybe it's fear, as John 3.16 says. Maybe it's fear of missing out. Maybe we think something better will come along. It's, it's an affirmation from Jesus that actually making decisions of making uh, life come on purpose is part of the kingdom life. The other thing that I think is maybe more obvious and, and pretty relevant in today's world as well, especially during an election cycle, is how high Jesus holds the value or the virtue of honesty. So instead of trying to convince people that you are telling the truth, he's basically saying, when you say yes or no, people should be able to trust you because they know that you are honest. And so that goes for commitments as well. When I say yes, I mean yes. When I say no, I mean no. But it's, it's so easy to change the story, to spin the story in such a way that makes us look better if there was something that happened that maybe we aren't so proud of. Um, the idea of, I think in our culture, saying yes when we mean no is incredibly prevalent. And I think one of the reasons is, was instead of saying a wholehearted yes to things, we say a dirty yes. A dirty yes is when we say yes, but it's because we're feeling pressured or because we're feeling insecure, or because we're feeling like people won't like us if we don't agree to what they're asking us for. And so we say yes, and then maybe we follow through part way, but not all the way. Um, the, the thing that we often don't do is we don't like tell blatant lies. Maybe some of you are actually spinning a web of lies that you're living in and caught in perhaps. But what we do more often is like what the serpent does, just twist things just a little bit. So you walk into a meeting late, and instead of saying, well, I slept in and I just I didn't get here on time, and it's my fault, it's, it's the traffic, it's, it's the stoplights, it's something, it's anything. I didn't get my homework done. Well, this unexpected thing came up last minute, right? It, it, it's a shifting of truth and a shifting of blame. And it's related to this third thing that, I wouldn't necessarily have thought go together, but I think Jesus is actually like really connecting the idea of living a life of honesty and telling the truth and uh, integrity with image. So that whole little bit beforehand where Jesus is saying, you know, don't take oaths. Uh, he's not, again, saying don't make commitments to things. But the thing that's happening here is that people in that day are making oaths, here it says, by heaven, by earth, by your head, by the great city Jerusalem. And, and it's like, to our ears, it's like, why? that makes no sense. Uh, is this like a weird thing that happens in a court of law? Not, not really. It's actually something that happens when people are trying to come off 
as more spiritual or more religious. And so they use these phrases or words or jargon when they make these commitments, right? So if you want people to think that you're really spiritual or holy, instead of like saying yes to, I don't know, serving in kids ministry, you're like, oh, by heaven, of course, by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God is holy. I am here to serve Jesus. And I mean, that just, I mean, it sounds weird to us, but that's something that was pretty common back then. You would make oaths to the Lord and you'd use a lot of flowery language. And the purpose of that was to present a front that did not necessarily match the heart. You're looking for uh, acceptance. You're trying to portray an image. You're projecting to be something more than you really are. And so, just like this pink pumpkin, you're not fooling anybody. No one who's running for president or who's in this room or who's watching this live stream has really got it all together. Nobody has earned their way into God's love or salvation. That's given freely. Nobody uh, is without fault. Everybody, like, not only has done things that have made a mess of relationships and told, like, we, we've lied about the ways that we've screwed up. And so we project this image. We want people, perhaps, this is what it's about. We want people to love and know and accept us. And the ironic thing is, instead of presenting the real us, we paint a picture. And that's not totally satisfying because now they're, once we've done that, now they're accepting the picture of us. They're accepting the pink pumpkin. And so like the hole that we need to be filled, like to be noticed and seen and loved and valued still hasn't come. And I think one of the things that we want to be in the vineyard is that we want to be a people who can be open and honest about the sins that we've committed. The things, what do I mean by sin? The things that have gotten in between us and God and messed up that relationship. The things that have come between you and me and have messed up that relationship. Because if you don't bring your real self, then your real self isn't going to be healed. Your real self isn't going to be loved. Your real self isn't going to be accepted and known. And so we want to be a people in the vineyard that love and accept people for who they are not as we wish them to be and not as they project. Like, I don't, I don't want anybody to, to come in as a pink pumpkin. And I think, I think one of the powerful things here that Jesus says here is all you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So on, like, on the one hand, all that stuff you're doing on Sunday to try to make people think that you're special and holy and spiritual and 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 all these things, like Jesus says, that's actually from Satan. So if you're in the crowd and you're somebody who has taken an oath like this, if you're somebody who has tried to impress other people with your like spiritual life when it's not really there, you're feeling like a pretty dumb right now. <laughs> but I think the, ama- the, the, the unfortunate, the, the shocking thing here is that the reason people lie 
is because of the lies that the evil one has told. The reason so often that you lie, that you spin the truth, that you, that you paint your life up to be something more than it is, is that Satan has spinned the truth. And the spin has been, you will only be loved if you can live up to the standards that you project, that, that if, if you turn, you know, the words of Jesus into a religion, uh, like that's the lie. It, he turns the words of Jesus into a religion and then you have to live up. And, and, and if you're reading this passage, like, oh, do, is it okay to lie now? Is it okay to lie there? Like, where, where, is, where am I inbounds and where am I out of bounds? You've kind of lost the idea of Jesus saying like, no, just, just be a whole complete person who can live into a life of wholeness. The lie that Satan tells you is that you're not loved and won't be accepted. And the word that Jesus says to you is, yes, I am with you. I am for you. I love you. I bless you from the beginning. Not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. And then the, the grace in that, the, the reason, listen, guys, you can only make a wholehearted yes if you have the ability to say no. And the fact that Jesus says, you can say yes or no to things when you're asked like there, that's a gift, that is grace, that is permission. You don't have to say yes to everything and everybody. When Some of you need to ask yourself, when is the last time I said no to anything? Something as simple as, do you want a cup of coffee? Well, if I say no, maybe they'll be offended. Uh, but if I say yes, okay, then, I won't, then I'll avoid like any... Uh, any, any relational, no, like the, there's freedom in being able to say yes or no. And I actually think as the worship team comes forward, that part of like what we're about is to like love like Jesus and listen to God's voice and follow him wherever he leads us. And there's, there's adventure in that. There's joy in that. There's peace in that. Whereas in painting the pumpkin pink is only anxiety because you're worried about when you're going to be found out and fear because you don't want to be found accountable. But, but in following Jesus and listening to his voice, you never, you never have to wonder whether you're going to stray from the love of God or not. And I think there are probably things today that Jesus wants to give you freedom from. Maybe Maybe it's dirty yeses. Maybe it's, you know, a, your life is just piled up with thing after thing after thing, and it's time to say no. Not just fade out, not just drop things, but say no. But I also think that there are some big wholehearted yeses that Jesus is calling you into today even. This is, again, to say, you can't, don't say no to everything. Say no to the things that God isn't calling you to and so that you can say yes to the things that God really is calling you into. I, I believe that there are some big yeses, some commitments that will stretch you like as, as, a, as a way to draw out your character. And it's not just things to do. The yes that maybe you need to make today is a way to be. A, a way to be toward your wife or your husband or your neighbors or your kids. 
And so we're going to invite God's Spirit to come and just speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us where and when to say no. That we would be able to say no because of the foundation of your love for us. But show us, too, what the big yeses are. In our lives, whatever we're doing, whoever we're in contact with, show us what the yes is. Saying yes to unity, saying yes to service, saying yes to living a life that is bigger than my uh, self, that's even bigger than my family. Saying a yes to bringing your kingdom into this world. God, this can be scary. This is risky. It fills us with fear. The evil one will try to convince us that it's not worth it, that it's not you, that, that there's actually a whole, there's an easier way. There, there are shortcuts. But God, we want to be the kind of people who know your voice. And so, Speak to us in ways that we can hear. And take away all the pretense and all the religious pressure and all uh, the need to be impressive or to impress. Cut through the image and speak directly into our hearts, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.